You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. guess what? I've got a new book coming out. It's called The Goddess Discovered, Exploring the Divine Feminine Around the World. And it is coming out on December 8th from Llewellyn Worldwide. This book has over 500 deities in it. Part one of the book will take you into the ancient world where you will learn about ancient religions that you may have practiced during your past lives and you'll explore goddesses from the ancient Celts, the Norse, the Egyptians, the Greeks and Romans, and more. And then in part two, we will explore living religions, current modern religions, and the deities worshipped by people during our own modern times. In part three, you'll have a chance to take some past life regressions and even genealogical regressions to connect with the places where your ancestors may have worshipped these deities in the past. Pre-order The Goddess Discovered and you'll receive a free gift, a guided journey from me through my healing arts platform. I hope that this one will be a book that you will have on your shelf for years to come. And I cannot thank you enough for your support of this book. I'll have lots of events coming up. But meanwhile, you can pre-order The Goddess Discovered. And I thank you so much for your support. Namaste. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hey, dear one. I just wanted to beam in and wish you a very, very happy new year. I hope that you enjoyed 2023, and today is New Year's Eve, so it's a great time to reflect on all of the blessings and to look forward to a wonderful, wonderful new year, and I hope that you will have a fantastic 2024. So with that, I do need to make an announcement. After much prayer, meditation, deliberation, and muscle testing, And as it is a beautiful end of the year episode that we're having right now, it is also going to be our last episode of the Healing Arts Podcast. And I hope this isn't too disappointing. 
Um, there's a couple of you in particular, Maria and Cheryl, who have been with me since the beginning um, and who have really encouraged me to keep this podcast going. And I have enjoyed our time together and I'm so grateful for it more than you can ever know for you and all of the listeners and readers out there who have been listening to the show. I'm grateful for the guests that I've interacted with. And I'm so grateful that the podcast was recognized um, this last summer through the People's Choice Awards. I thank you for voting for this. I thank you for listening to the show. Years ago, somebody told me that all relationships come to an end at some point, though, either through drifting apart, through death, or divorce. And uh, of course, we're not getting a divorce, and we're certainly not having a death here. However, um, there's a lot of new um, energies coming in for me right now, and I'm entering a completely different phase of my life. I will hope to be a guest on other people's shows for a period of time again, and I will be grateful for that opportunity. I may pick this up again someday, but again, through a lot of prayer, meditation, and a lot of muscle testing, the consistent answer right now is that unfortunately, um, our time together has come to its conclusion. So I want to thank you. I'm so grateful for the time that you've spent with me. I just cannot even thank you enough. And I thought it was really interesting. I, I've been really pushing right up into the wire to make this decision. I recorded a lot of the shows for season 17 a long, long time ago when I was putting together my goddess book, because we've had a lot of fascinating guests this season talking about divine feminine energy and things like that. And I got this episode put together with my friend Susan Shumsky, where she's going to talk about India and the Maharishi. And I just love her book. I love this book. It's one of my favorites that I have read the whole time that I've been on this show. And I just thought, wow, what a cool uh, place to end the Healing Arts podcast with this interview. And so I am going to bid you love, peace, harmony, happiness. And it is not goodbye. It is just we will see each other again down the road. You know, I'm not stopping my writing by any means. I have a new book called Ancestral Energy Healing that will be coming out in June of 2024. So you can definitely look for, forward to new books from me, um, new projects coming out. It's just that the podcast, I think, as much of a blessing as it has been, it is now time for me to lovingly say goodbye and move forward in some new directions. So just know that I'm always keeping you in my prayers. I'm grateful for the time we've had together. And so let's check out this wonderful interview with Susan Shumsky about the Beatles in India. Hey, my dear friends, welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I am so excited today to have our friend Susan Shumsky back on the program. Susan has written amazing, amazing books over the years. And I have to say, she has definitely outdone herself with her latest, which is called The Inner Light. This is an incredible book, How India Influenced the Beatles. I want to read you 
We're going to have all of her websites below. I want to read you the part of her bio out of this book as it relates to what we're going to talk about today, because it's so very interesting. In 1970, Susan spent six months in Rikakesh, India, studying with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, guru of the Beatles and founder of Transcendental Meditation, which I have talked about on this program. I love it. And it's transformed my own life. For two decades, Susan resided in Maharishi's ashrams in the Himalayas, Swiss Alps, and other secluded areas. This is so amazing. She served on his personal staff for six of those years in Spain, Mallorca, Austria, Italy, and Switzerland. And then she studied new thought and metaphysics, became a doctor of divinity, and of course, now she's the author who we know and love. She's got amazing books. We had her on the show earlier to talk about prosperity meditations, which you know I love that one. But Susan, hello. I love this. <laughs> Welcome to Healing Arts. I can't say enough about this book. I love it. I'm thrilled to hear that, Shelley. Thank you for inviting me to your yes. show. You know, I... I'm going to confess something to the audience and to you right now. When I sit on airplanes, I have a very weird habit, which is to like to look around at other people's screens and see what they're watching. And so the last couple of years, I don't remember where I was flying, but the cabin was darkened. And this is before they started yanking all the screens out of the seat backs, which they're not in there anymore. So they were all, it was dark. I looked over and I went, oh, the Maharishian. I looked up there, the Maharishian, there was another one. And I was like, what are these people watching? And they were watching the most fabulous documentary film. And I, I found it and it was about the Beatles in India. And then there was my friend, Susan, you were a major feature of the film. And now that I've read this book, I can see why this is incredible, amazing journeys. Um, let me show you kids out there just for a minute. She's got like pictures. She's got QR codes so that we can look at the lyrics of all of the Beatles songs are mentioned in here and the influence of India and the Maharishi on the Beatles. So I was wondering all of that to say, I love it. And I was wondering if you could tell us, you wrote another book called The Maharishi and Me. And I know you're from San Francisco. And at the beginning of this book, you talk about being in San Francisco, really embodying and being part of the hippie movement. So I was wondering if we could start there, like how you were in the middle of this movement, how you found Transcendental Meditation, and then we'll just go from there. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the mid 20th century and I was a hippie. And I, at that time I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so I was a flower child. And those of us who were flower children, you know, it wasn't all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Shelley. Uh, it was about seeking higher consciousness. It was about experiencing altered states of consciousness. That was our goal. And at that time, our gurus were Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, who later became Ram Das. And they told us to turn in, to turn, tune in, <laughs> turn on, tune in and drop out. So that was the idea was to drop out of the establishment and to experience altered states through LSD. 
which is what we tried to do. That certainly didn't work out very well for me. I'll tell you, I had a psychotic breakdown as a result of that. Wow. However, I still wanted to experience nirvana, which is what we were seeking, you know. And uh, Alpert uh, and Leary had written this book, The Psychedelic Experience which the Beatles, you know, John Lennon read that book. In fact, he read it all in one go as he was sitting in the bookstore one day. And then he wrote the, the song, Tomorrow Never Knows. And that is a verbatim, the lyrics are verbatim from that book, which that book, The Psychedelic Experience is verbatim from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So all of that ties together. And so I was seeking, you know, these higher states of consciousness, and I was reading books like Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and The Way of Zen by Alan Watts, and the Buddhist scriptures, and other works by Alan Watts. And in his books, he said that you have to find what is known as a meditation guide in 19... 60s in Berkeley, California, you didn't exactly go to the yellow pages and find a meditation guide or anything remotely similar to that. But, you know, I was looking for that. So I asked a roommate, you know, how do I find this meditation guide? And he said, well, have you ever tried to meditate on your own? And I said, well, I'll give it a chance, you know, I'll give it a try. Why not? So I lay down on my bed. That's how clueless I was, Shelly. I didn't even know that you're supposed to sit up when you meditate. <laughs> I lay on my bed and sort of asked for or prayed for a meditation. And immediately I was propelled into this ecstatic state. I could feel the quarter rush of energy rushing from the tips of my toes all the way up to the top of my head. And I felt like I was in, had been plugged into a cosmic electric socket but in a most ecstatic way. And I thought, well, I guess this is meditation. I didn't know any better. Uh, little did I know that I had not only had my first meditation experience, but also Kundalini awakening all at the same time without any drugs or anything like that. So that was the beginning of really my journey into meditation. And then a friend took me to the Transcendental Meditation Center and immediately, you know, I knew this is this is where I can learn real meditation. So I did. <laughs> so you then went on your journey to learn TM. How did you then end up traveling with and representing the Maharishi in Europe? I mean, that is just so fascinating. Yeah. So as soon as I learned transcendental meditation, I was having amazing experiences and immediately want to become a TM teacher. I just felt right away that I should become a teacher. So I started applying for the courses and the courses were held in Rishikesh, India. And I kept applying and I kept getting rejected because they said I was a little too young, too young, too young every time I applied. <laughs> and I applied uh, to several courses, including the course that the Beatles went on. I didn't know the Beatles were going to be there, but I applied for that course and I was rejected for that. So it wasn't until a course in 1970 when I was accepted 
And really, he, Maharishi made an exception for that course because he allowed younger students to, to go on it. So I ended up going in 1970. And then after the course, I stayed for another three months and just hung around him with about six other people. <laughs> we were there with Maharishi and we traveled with him to South India, to Bangalore. So it was quite an adventure, quite an experience to be really close to him. And then it wasn't too long after that, that I asked if I could be on his international staff. And he said, yes. So I ended up being on his international staff for six years, his personal staff. That is so incredible. What a journey you've had. So I think, yeah, you know, I was introduced um, to TM when I was out promoting my books in the earlier parts of my career. And the minute I went into that state after my teacher showed it to me, I just, I felt that same, just this peace. And I felt like things were just spinning off and I was having um, just a miracle happen in my life. I think meditation, I mean, you know, I love past lives. I mean, yeah, I get it. But meditation is really for me, the best gift that I ever gave to myself was taking that class. And so it's easy really for me to understand how you became involved in it. And really then the Beatles, they were, you know, all buttoned up with their suits on in the beginning of their career <laughs> on the Ed Sullivan show. And then now all of a sudden, this whole new dimension has opened up to them through um, the Maharishi and that trip to India. So you talk a lot about several of the songs you mentioned, some what are some of the songs and some of the stories? I know um, one of the ones that comes to mind, I guess, if you want to mention this one is, you know, Mia Farah's sister, Prudence, yeah. I think had um, a little bit of an influence on one of the Beatles songs. So talk about that or any of them that you want. I know there's so many. So just whatever's are, on the top of your soul today is what we want to hear. Yeah, there are so many. And my book, The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles, is told through the songs every chapter is a song. <laughs> so I go through maybe, I don't know how many, I, I really didn't count 60 or 70 songs, something like that, that were influenced by India or Indian philosophy or Indian music or Indian musicians. And not only in the Beatles career, but also in their solo careers as well. And a Dear Prudence is one of those songs that was written in India. So Mia Farrow was a famous actress in the mid 20th century. She, had, she won a Golden Globe at some point. And she and her sister Prudence, Prudence Farrow and Mia Farrow, they traveled with Maharishi to India. Maharishi was visiting the States and they, they flew with him on the plane to India. And uh, Mia had just learned meditation, but Prudence had been really into it for years. And she was kind of a fanatic about transcendental meditation. She was like me, a total fanatic. <laughs> and she was having amazing experiences. So all she wanted to do was spend all of her time in meditation when she was at the ashram. And she didn't want to come out for meals. She didn't want to come out for anything. And at some point, well, unfortunately, Prudence had uh, been a substance abuser before she learned transcendental meditation. And uh, alcohol and drugs, you know, a bad recipe, mixing uh, and hanging out with 
of drug addicts, you know, not so good, unsupervised. Her parents were always traveling. Her father was a famous director, John Farrow. Her mother was Maureen O'Sullivan, a really famous actress. So she was just alone. And then her sister becoming super famous and feeling just so inferior, people would say, well, why aren't you famous? You know, why are you such a loser sort of thing? You know, people would say to her. So uh, she had some psychological issues and in fact uh, had been in a mental hospital for a while before she went to India. Unfortunately, she had a mental breakdown when she was at the ashram in India. And uh, before that happened, Maharishi had placed her in a study group with John and George, the Beatles, you know. So she was close with them and uh, having this discussion group with them. And Maharishi asked them to look after her, just see how she's doing, you know, which they did. And they were staying in the same compound, in the same area. There were these bungalows and she was staying in one of them that was right near the Beatles. So, uh, well, she had a, a, a breakdown, shall we say. She had a psychotic break and it was uh, pretty dramatic. But amazingly, Maharishi healed her within like two or three weeks. And she was, <laughs> she was in quite a state, but he managed to heal her before the course was over. By the end of the course, she was happily having lunch and dinner with everyone, smiling, uh, very active. But at the time during, uh, during the time she was meditating day and night, day and night, uh, that was when Maharishi started to get concerned about her. And everyone did, the Beatles too. So that was when John wrote this song, Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play, greet the brand new day and so forth, you know, telling her, open up your eyes, you know, that was all part of that song. And so that was Dear Prudence. Uh, John never sang the song to her, or at least she doesn't remember him singing that song to her when she was in India. But right before the Beatles left, George uh, sent her a note telling her that John had written a song about her and she was really worried because she knew that son that john was rather scathing and very sarcastic and she was really worried what that song was going to be like but a year later when she heard the song her mom played it for her and when she heard it she was really happy because she loved the song she thought it was so sweet it is it's a really beautiful one they have so many though it's hard to you know, as you know, it's very hard. This is a very thick book, friends. Lots and lots of books. <laughs> I mean, lots and lots of songs here. Yeah. Tell us some of your other favorite um, yeah. Beatles experiences that are top of mind. Beatles experiences or some more of their songs? Songs. Lyrics. Songs. Yeah. So the song, Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey, is the song that's most about Maharishi, more about Maharishi than any other song the Beatles have written. Weird, huh? <laughs> and here's the reason, here's the reason. Okay, so Maharishi, whenever uh, he would want somebody to come and uh, 
he wanted to chat with him, he would either, either say, come, come, or he would say, come on. Okay, so that's what he would do. He'd you know, pick you out of the line of people that he's walking through the corridor of people that he was always walking through because people were always standing in line waiting to give him a flower. Uh, so he would say, come, come, or come on. And then one of his other famous expressions or expressions he would use many times a day was, it's such a joy. It's such a joy, everything. It's such a joy. <laughs> And then the other one, another expression that his go-to expression was take it easy, take it as it comes. Take it easy, take it as it comes. So those are, that's basically the lyrics of that song. <laughs> Everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Now, I don't know about the monkey, but um, John claims that the monkey was uh, Yoko. But the reality is that I think it was probably about the monkeys at the ashram. There were tons of monkeys always jumping on the bungalows while we were meditating, you know, bringing us out of meditation, <laughs> loud monkeys jumping up and down on the roofs. Um, and also in the dining area, there was a sign uh, there that said, beware of monkey attack. Because <laughs> the monkeys would come and steal a chapati or some, you know, steal something from the food. Okay, wow. so that was another song that they wrote in India. They wrote about 40 songs in India total. And most of them ended up on the White Album. That is so amazing. And I think in the film, they show that, that ashram where the Beatles spent all their time, which I think is now abandoned. Is that is that accurate? Well, it was abandoned, but now the forest, uh, forest Service of India, which always owned it, Maharishi never owned it. He just leased it. He leased it for, I think, it was 20 years. And then he abandoned it after he leased it. He decided he didn't want to use it anymore. And um, actually, the reason he abandoned it was because of the placement uh, on the land. He thought it was inauspicious because the sun uh, to the east, there was a mountain to the east, and that's not good for what they call Vastu or Indian feng shui, you know. So um, that's why he abandoned it. And it really was abandoned. I mean, I visited there in 2001, 2007, 2010, and, and 2013. And all the times that I visited there, it was just in ruins and overgrown. You couldn't even get anywhere near the Beatles complex where they had stayed. It was totally overgrown. And um, so, uh, yeah. But now the Forest Service has opened it and you pay admission and you can go in and visit it. And they have like a, you know, they have placards and they have a display and so on. Yeah, that's pretty incredible because yeah, now I'm sure it's a real tourist attraction it because is. of your book and because of the <laughs> film and everything, it's getting a lot of publicity. I think everybody would want to see that. So that's that's good that they're able to do that now. Yeah. So one of the other interesting parts of the book is is beyond the songs themselves, but the actual um, execution of songs and the new instruments that they picked up while in India. Um, there's a lot of discussion about 
George Harrison and his brotherly love relationship with Ravi Shankar. So tell tell people who it's hard for me to believe nobody knows who Mia Farrow is anymore or Ravi Shankar. But if you could talk about that and then how he introduced George to some of the amazing sounds that the Beatles produced during certain years, including the White Album. Right. So Ravi Shankar. Uh, OK, so he was introduced to the West through the Asian Music Circle, which is an organization in London. And they started bringing Indian musicians to the West in the 1960s. So Ravi Shankar, who was quite renowned sitarist, played the sitar in, uh, from India, uh, became well known along with Ali Akbar Khan and other Indian musicians in America because of the Asian Music Circle. And George got involved with the Asian Music Circle uh, in the 1960s. And in 1966, he met Ravi Shankar at the home of Angadi, who was the founder of the Asian Music Circle. And immediately they had an amazing rapport, um, Ravi and George. And George was very keen on learning sitar. Uh, he had already been studying with teachers, uh, sitar teachers at the Asian Music Circle. And he'd already been going to concerts and himself going to concerts of Ravi Shankar and other Indian musicians. And he was, so he was into it already. And then he asked Ravi if he could become his student. And Ravi was very skeptical because it takes decades to master sitar. And he himself, even though he'd been playing it for 30 years by that time, he himself didn't think he had mastered it. So, uh, but he saw the sincerity of George. And so he relented. To, to become uh, his teacher, the teacher of George. So George actually went to India in September of 1966, along with Patty, his wife, and they spent about six weeks uh, studying, uh, George stu studying sitar, mainly with Ravi Shankar's protege, Shambhu Das. That was his main sitar teacher, actually, not Ravi. <laughs> Is, even though people think it was Ravi, but that's okay. Shambhu Das just never was, was not given credit for that. But they went to Kashmir uh, and stayed on Dahl Lake on a houseboat and really George immersed himself in learning sitar from Ravi and from Shambhu Das. So that's how he got into that. And then, you know, he wanted to really used the sitar in the Beatles music. Uh, the first time he used it was on Norwegian wood. That was way before he had met Ravi Shankar. Um, in fact, it was even before he knew about the Asian music circle. Uh, so uh, yeah, he, he had bought this old kind of funky sitar from India craft, um, cheap sitar. And he used it on Norwegian wood. He just played a riff because he was looking for something. He wanted to add something to the song. And he kind of plucked out the sitar. <laughs> he wasn't really playing the sitar. He was just, just fooling around with it. 
And that's how it ended up on Norwegian wood. And then the next one he used a sitar was uh, Love You Too. And Love You Too was all Indian music. And, and, um, and George played the sitar on that. That was before he had studied with Ravi. So he had already learned something <laughs> from the Asian music circle musicians. It's so interesting just to see how they gravitated over there. And particularly George seemed to really just find himself there in some ways, it seems, through the music there and that connection with his teachers. And like you said, he showed up and he was very humble, very willing to learn. And that's just so neat. I mean, it just goes to show that I think the soul is calling us to different places. And we're when we're open, you know, miracles and amazing things can happen. That's for sure, Shelley. Yeah. Yeah. The and George, thing, George oh really followed his heart. You know, he followed his heart and he was uh, followed his heart to Lord Krishna, actually all of his heart to that because after he and John left Maharishi in a big huff it wasn't too long after that that George got involved with Hare Krishna the uh I should be, be more specific what yeah, I mean by that that's a, that was what I was just going to ask so tell us about there was there was a big rift with the Maharishi tell us about that and then I definitely want to get into the Krishna phase as well. But tell us what, what was this rift about and then did it ever get resolved? Uh, okay, so yes, there was a rift and did it ever get resolved? Um, well, with John, no, never got resolved with John. With George, maybe. Yeah, there's, a, there's maybe some mythology about that. But what from I know for sure is why the Beatles left India, which there were many reasons, including a film deal that went south, where Maharishi had promised the Beatles that they would have exclusive rights to do a film about transcendental meditation and Maharishi and Maharishi's guru, Brahmananda Saraswati. And they had signed a contract with Neil Aspinall and there was supposed to be filming and uh, but Maharishi had given those exclusive rights to the Beatles, but also he'd given the same rights to someone else, <laughs> which was four star productions of Hollywood who showed up in Rishikesh. And the lawyer came with a signed contract that gave exclusive rights for four star productions, exclusive rights for them to film Maharishi for the next five years. <laughs> so that was that didn't go over too well. The Beatles, when, when the four-star productions crew arrived at the ashram and started filming, uh, John and George refused to leave their rooms. They, they wouldn't go to the lecture hall where the cameras and lights were set up. They refused to be in the film. And it wasn't too long after that that they left. There was that. And there was also the little fact that Maharishi had made a pass at one of the girls at the ashram named Rosalind, who was an American girl from Brooklyn. And Maharishi made a pass at her. 
And by the way, he made a pass at several other women, including Mia Farrow. <laughs> so that also didn't go over too well with the Beatles. So they, they left in the huff. Um, that was John and George. They were the only ones left by then. Uh, Ringo had to leave after one week because he had a six-month-old child at home. <laughs> and his wife also hated the insects there. Uh, the legend is that one fly held her hostage for several hours until Ringo came back to kill it. You know, you know, I, I, it's obviously an exaggeration, but you know, she hated the insects. It was the jungle. There were scorpions. There were millipedes and centipedes and spiders. Whatever you know, there were lots of insects. It was the jungle. She didn't like that, and Ringo couldn't handle the food. Uh, he had had peritonitis as a child, and he had brought an entire suitcase of Heinz beans to the ashram, <laughs> but he got sick of that after a while. But in any case, they left after about a week, and John uh, and Paul McCartney had come with Jane Asher, and they left after about a month because she had a theatrical commitment in London. So they had already gone. And no, no issues with Ringo and Paul. It was John and George who had the issues. They stayed, you know, they stayed a couple months. And once they had this film deal go south, and then they on top of that, Maharishi turned out to not be what he claimed to be, which is life celibate. So, you know, they didn't like that. So that's why they left. And it was traumatic for both of them. Very traumatic, especially for George. He took it very hard. And John, very angry, very angry. And when John got back to London, you know, he, he uh, Paul asked him, well, you know, what happened? Why did you leave? And John said, well, you know, he had made, he tried to get it on with Mia and some other chick. You know, that was how he described it. And Paul said, and so what? Because Paul didn't see what was wrong with that. And John said, well, we can't go following that. He's just an old lech like everyone else. So that was his, his take on it. And um, yeah, so, so they left and it was, it was a bad break up kind of thing I think it speaks really I, I think I've certainly had that happen when you have somebody you're you're thinking one thing about you're admiring yeah. them maybe putting them on pedestals that they don't right. deserve on some right. level and then at the end of the day we're all human beings and exactly. we all have faults but I we could do. see where that would be pretty disappointing especially if he was purporting himself as a lifelong celibate that would be yes. that piece of it would be shocking I'm sure he later regretted not giving his movie rights to the Beatles, though. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, oh, well, yeah. I guess karma. There it is. Yeah, the movie rights had already been given to four star productions previously. Darn. He was just not forthright about that. He didn't tell the Beatles that there was a, a, already a contract in place. Oh, well, so, too bad. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then you mentioned earlier, I, now, before we move on, though, didn't George then return to see the Maharishi later and they kind of made some semblance at, at amends over this? Okay, well, John also tried to come back to Maharishi in 1969, December. Uh, Maharishi was sitting in a meeting with a few people in his meeting room in his little bungalow in Rishikesh. And uh, his secretary came in and said, Maharishi, there's an important telegram. And Maharishi said, what it is, who it is? And the secretary said, it's from John Lennon. And Maharishi said, who? And the secretary said, John Lennon, Maharishi. Maharishi said, who? And the secretary said, it's from John Lennon from the Beatles who was here. And Maharishi paused and he looked down and then he looked askance and he said, I do not know a John Lennon. Wow. So that was that. He did not allow um, them to come and visit uh, so I had a friend who was in that meeting with Maharishi. Uh, also, there is evidence. I mean, John was in New Delhi in December of 1969. That's And then there was a time when George tried over and over to contact Maharishi through the 1970s. And my friend Connie Larson, who was one of Maharishi's personal secretaries, was the one who was liaising, liaising with Maharishi, George and Maharishi. He was passing messages back and forth. And George tried several times to call Maharishi and Maharishi would not talk to him on the phone. He just refused. In fact, one time he just told uh, Connie to hang up the phone you know, just hang up on him. <laughs> and then at one point, Maharishi said, uh, told uh, Connie to give George the following message. Tell him to do tapas for a year and then come back to me. Okay, so what he meant by that is tell him to meditate, tell him to keep meditating and then come back after a year which that didn't ever really happen. And then um, at one point, Deepak Chopra claims that there was a meeting between George and Maharishi. And I don't know if that meeting ever took place. Uh, it probably did. And there was some forgiveness that took place during the meeting. And uh, so, you know, eventually George and Maharishi George apologized and they made up, although he didn't really need to apologize, but he did. <laughs> and um, so there was some, some reconciliation there. Wow. And so you mentioned earlier then that George was really then being called towards Krishna. So speak about that. And then that phase of the Beatles as well, which was kind of interesting. The thing is that George had always had an affinity for Krishna and had really been chanting the uh, Hare Krishna mantra, which was taught by 
Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada, who founded ISKCON, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. And he had found, founded that. Um, let's see, he had founded it in America first, in the hippie uh, Haight Ashbury of San Francisco. And then he sent his seven star students to London to start uh, the Hare Krishna movement there. And that's where George got involved with Hare Krishna. And he never really joined the organization, but what he did was he signed the lease on their building at Bury Place in London, where they had the temple. And they still have the temple to this day. And he also bought a property from for them outside of London, uh, the Bhaktivedanta Manor, which is a huge property that is the residential facility for the Hare Krishna movement. So um, George was very fond of the of Krishna. You know, in fact, that's what My Sweet Lord is about, the song, My Sweet Lord. And also he uh, claims that it saved his life on a plane one time when he was flying on a plane and the, on a private plane and the plane had been struck by lightning three times and everyone on the plane was terrified and George was screaming the Hare Krishna mantra at the top of his lungs because this plane kept dropping in height, you know, kept uh, it was a terrifying experience for him. And he just kept chanting that mantra and he, he claims that that's what saved him. Wow. My sweet Lord, that's one of my favorites. That's a great song. I mean, I, they really all are. There's just so much there that yeah. is absolutely incredible. I, it's hard for me to, I know you won't be able to answer this completely, but do you have a favorite Beatles song? Across the Universe is my favorite Beatles song. Now that song was written right after John learned Transcendental Meditation, which was in August of 1967 is when he learned. And soon after that, he wrote that song. He wow. wrote it, it just came to him as a kind of a revelation. It was one of those things, a download or revelation or whatever you want to call it or channeled, you know. So it came to him and he just went downstairs and he was, he was up in the bedroom and then he went downstairs and he, he wrote the song. Now that song, uh, he says, is one of his best songs. In fact, he said it might be his very best because the poetry in the song, uh, he said it was his best piece of poetry. And I think it is, it's a gorgeous song. And by the way, in that song, he used an expression, Jay Guru Deva, right? So he said, Jay Guru Deva Om. So what does that mean? Well, a Maharishi, whenever he would meet anybody, uh, he wouldn't say, hello, goodbye, have a nice day. He never used those expressions. Instead, he, he'd put his hands together in prayer position or pranam or namaste position. Uh, it's, and he would say, Jay Gurudev, 
And he would say that over and over to everyone he ever met instead of hello, goodbye. Jay Gurudev, Jay Gurudev, you know, every time. So <laughs> everyone else was doing the same thing to him. Jay Gurudev, you know. So that means glory to the divine preceptor, glory to the divine teacher. And in that case, the teacher was Maharishi's guru, Brahmananda Saraswati, who was the Shankaracharya, which means the teacher, the, the holder of the Shankaracharya tradition, meaning the, uh, he was the Shankaracharya of North India. There are four Shankaracharyas in India, North, South, East, West. And he was the one from the North. And they are, are responsible for maintaining the Hindu religion in India. So that was Maharishi's guru, Maharishi's teacher. And he was giving praise to his teacher whenever he would do that. Jay Gurudev. And then he stuck an ohm at the end of it. John Lennon stuck an ohm at the end of it. And ohm is the vibrational sound that gives, that creates and gives rise to the entire universe. It's the fundamental sound of creation. So he stuck that at the end of Jay Gurudev. Very appropriate. Wow. I mean, so many, this book is just filled with so many fascinating stories like this. This is incredible. It is. <laughs> it is. The you book is such like a journey. Yeah. The book is, has 512 pages. It's got 950 endnotes. <laughs> That's how well-researched it is. It's got 170 very rare photos. It's got 130 QR codes. And the, the photos in the book, you will not see anywhere else. I've got rare photos that I got from the Indian musicians, from their families, and all kinds of crazy places that I was able to get these photos. It was just mind-blowing. I think it's an amazing book. And I, think I like to brag about it. <laughs> You should brag about this. This this is seriously, for me, this is one of the best books I've read in oh many years. I love oh, it. Wow. And yeah, the photos, the detail, the story, there are so, there's hundreds of stories in here. Right. And like you said, the photos, you're not going to see this on uh, the mainstream. Let's just say no. these are incredible. I mean, I just, I cannot uh, congratulate you enough. This is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> this is such a beautiful, you say that this is dedicated to their work. And I mean, it's such a beautiful and honoring tribute that you've given not only to Maharishi, but to the Beatles as well. I mean, it's incredible. I love it. <laughs> and also, I, I'm not sure exactly when we're going to air this, but I do know that we are speaking today on a very special day, which is July 7th. So tell us what it is today that's so... <laughs> serendipitous yeah today is Ringo Starr's 83rd birthday and at, at noon on his birthday he always does a celebration a peace and love celebration so at noon no matter what time zone you're in noon in your own time zone you're on July 7th he requests that everyone do this and say peace and love peace and love Peace and love, peace and love. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and we're approaching that hour right now as we're actually speaking. So this is pretty cool. It pretty is cool. Very cool, yeah. 
Wow. I mean, wow. This is amazing. I can't recommend this enough. Do you like music, friends? Do you like pop culture, like where pop culture meets spirituality and real stories that you have never heard before? This is incredible. And like I said, the photos, you can just get lost. You can do a photo perusal of the book and then you can go back and read these stories. It's incredible. I love it. You know, I love all your books, but I'm telling you, woo. You've outdone yourself here, my friend. This was uh, amazing. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of work, a lot of research. And the cool thing about the book is you don't have to read it all the way through. It's like an encyclopedia. You just go to whatever song you want to read about, you know, or whatever topic you're interested in. You just look at the table of contents and see, oh, I'd like to read about Sexy Sadie, or I'd like to read about Bungalow Bill. Who was Bungalow Bill, you know? Uh, I'd like to read about um, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever you'd like to read about that's Beatles related. There it is. You'll find the true story, the expose, the, the, the tell all, the tell all. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting because I love music and there's always so many interesting stories or you see different documentaries about bands that you love. But like I said, you're not going to get stories like these anywhere else. <laughs> so that is the reason why I found it completely incredible. Um, you're just really digging into some amazing things. And I learned a lot. I loved it. And um, this one's going to, this one will be around for decades and decades to come as really, in my opinion, part of the, the important musical history that people are going to want to learn more about as time goes on. So I just say congratulations on this one for sure. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> so Susan, tell us your website. We'll have all these links below and also to Susan's fabulous books, but tell us your website and any other things that you'd like to share before we say goodbye. My website is drsusan.org, drsusan.org. And also my other website is Divine Travels dot com uh, that's d-i-v-i-n-e-t-r-a-v-e-l-s that's plural on the travels divine travels.com where you can find out about the tours and the conferences at sea that i produce because uh, we have these holistic conferences on cruise ships and, yay uh, we love invited to come <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's a great venue for that. Um, there would not be anyone better to take you than Susan, that's for sure. After hearing all of your adventures, we would be in great hands. So Susan, uh, it's been a complete joy. I just wish you success and joy and all good things on the rest of this journey that is so amazing that you're having. Um, and I love your book. So thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Shelly. And I'm so pleased that you love the book. <laughs> yeah, I really do. Friends, we've done it again. Another episode of Healing Arts. You've got to check this one out. Um, I, I'm keeping it very close as a, as a favorite, favorite one. Um, like she said, like an encyclopedia, just um, telling personal stories about things that have meant so much to me personally. The Maharishi and the Transcendental Meditation is... Uh, a life-changing part of my own journey. And I know, you know, Susan and others around the world have really benefited from that. So you're going to love the bridging of pop culture and spirituality that she's bringing. So 
Meanwhile, check it out. And I will check all of you out on the next episode of Healing Arts. So we've done it together. We have wrapped up 17 seasons of the Healing Arts Podcast. And with that, I just want to once again express my deep and sincere gratitude for the time that you have spent with me over the course of these years. I really never thought when I started this show in May of 2020 that we would still even be going. And on some, on the one hand, on the other hand, I thought, well, maybe I'll keep this going forever. But I think this is a good time um, to draw this to a conclusion. And just know though, that I've got lots of new books coming out. I will be very grateful to be on other people's podcasts. And I will definitely see you very, very soon. So you take care of yourself. And just know that I'm sending you lots and lots of blessings and love now and always. Namaste. Hey friends, would you like to heal your ancestors to heal your life? Well, you can do just that with my book by the same name that will teach you my genealogical regression process so that you can send love and light to your ancestors. And by learning a few simple techniques, you will begin to feel the benefits of that healing resonating through yourself and your entire family, past, present, and future. Check out my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life, The Transformative Power of Genealogical Regression, today. Just go to pastlifelady.com, click on the book link, and check it out. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady.